Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Amen. So, you know, um, Pastor John said, okay, you got two weeks to teach on Christmas. And so it's like, okay. And so that's a pretty broad topic. And so I did my thing and I'm looking and I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. And I'm the type of person that I get all this information and then I go, oh my gosh, I'm so overwhelmed. Now what do I do? Because I have way too much and I don't even know what to do. And so I had to pray and I said, God, I need your help to narrow down what it is that you want to say to your people. Not what I want to say to your people, but what you want to say. And what I didn't realize, and he always does this and I I don't know, I tend to forget it or I don't know, but he ministered to me so much through my study and through his word. And so my prayer really is that you too will get out of this wonderful story. You know, it's so common. It should never be, um, it should never get old with us, the Christmas story, but it's common sometimes. And we just tend to kind of like, oh yeah, you know, yeah, you know, baby came, virgin birth, and you know, this dude did that, and this dude did that, and the angel sang, woohoo, and then the shepherds came, and you know, and we, we know the story, and so we think, well, there's not really that much to learn. Well, let me tell you, that's not true. And as I went through this, remember, this is the word of God. So we can always learn from it. We can read it thousands of times and never know it all. And so as we go through this, my prayer is that the living word of God will come alive in your heart and this season will become even more precious to you because you learned something that sparked a desire in your heart to seek God even more in his word. We are so blessed to have the written word of God in our lives, to have the access that we have to it. And I pray that this will birth something in you that will make you strongly desire to seek God and his word. And so um, the coming of Messiah was prophesied by Isaiah about 800 years before the Messiah actually came. That's a long time. Don't lose heart if you have a promise. I don't think God's going to make you wait 800 years, but... His people waited a long time for that promise. In Isaiah seven fourteen, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call his name Emmanuel. So then we read in the Gospel of Matthew how Jesus was the fulfillment of that prophecy. In Matthew 1, and 23, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. That is what this is all about, is the presence of God in our lives. Emmanuel, God with us. So between Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, and Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, is about 400 years. And God was silent during that time. His people didn't hear from him. But he broke that silence in a pretty spectacular way, didn't he? Christmas is a time of celebration, especially for us as Christians. It's not that it's wrong. The decorations and the beautiful, you know, all the trees and the 
all of that, getting together with family, exchanging gifts, all of that's wonderful. But as Christians, we understand that there's more to it than that. It is the actual presence of God in our lives. And after such a great silence, God's people um, were about to get shook up pretty good. It's an awesome story. Hallelujah. So, you know, um, Jesus, this is, it's so much that it's still overwhelming to me that God would leave the glory of heaven, come to this earth as a vulnerable child, submit himself to what he submitted himself to, to ultimately, ultimately become a sacrifice for us. That is such love, church. That is such love. And so we hear this story and we think, well, that's a nice story. But it's so much more than a nice story. It is the living word of God. And so as we pursue a growing relationship with God, we can ask ourselves some questions about scripture. Okay. So first of all, we're reading this story, but it's thousands of years ago. So how does this really apply to my life? Like what I'm going through right now, right here. Is it really relevant for me? What does God with us actually look like? So in our journey through this Christmas story, we're going to look at some history, some culture, some of the prophecies, and what we know about each of these characters. So tonight we're going to start with Elizabeth and Zechariah, the parents of John the Baptist. So their story is found in Luke 1, 15 through 18. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Wow. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel, angel Gabriel, angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born, 
for my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Wow, what an incredible story. So Zechariah, his name means the Lord remembers. He was from the tribe of Levi, which was the priestly tribe. And in that time, especially, Jews really truly identified with their tribe. It was very much a part of their identity. And especially the um, uh, Levitical tribe, they were the priesthood. They were the only tribe that were priests. And so um, number three on your handout there, um, there's a little bit of an error. And so he was a priest and he was called to service. That was a rare honor. Most scholars believe a priest may have only served once in a lifetime in the temple like that. But I, the next sentence, as there were 12 tribes um, and many priests, etc., that's wrong. It's not 12 tribes because only one tribe was allowed to serve as priests. But in the one tribe, there were many orders. And see the, the one passage, it said that it was his his order's turn. So he was of the order of Abijah. So it was their turn to minister in the temple. And so a priest was chosen by lots. And lots were kind of like dice, um, but they were random items, like depending on where someone lived or what they had available. It could be sticks, coins, polished stones, a lot of different items that they would use to cast lots. And I don't understand the process totally, but it was considered at that time an unbiased and even godly way to come to a decision. They didn't want to depend on the human element. They wanted to trust God. And so we may look at that and think, man, they're going to shoot dice to decide. But for them, that was very sacred. That was, they believed that God um, determined the outcome, not them. And so um, a priest would have served from Sabbath to Sabbath for one week that he would be in the temple. And his main job was keeping incense burning all the time in the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies is the inner um, part of the temple where the Ark of the Covenant was. And literally, that's where the presence of God dwelled. So it was a very, very sacred duty to do what he did. And so he went in there where the Ark of the Covenant was. And um, you can't take it lightly. (laughs) There's a tradition told that they tie a rope around your ankle or your waist and a bell. And that way, if they stop hearing the bell, that means you've stopped moving around and they got to drag your body out of there because you went in there unready to go to go before the presence of God. And so it was not something to be taken lightly. It was a great honor. And they went through several um, sacrifices and ritualistic cleansing before they did it. And then they did it for a week. But it was likely that it was very infrequent in their lives. So this would have been a really precious time for Zechariah. Um, Luke 1, 6 says, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. So the angel Gabriel appears to him while he's ministering in the temple and told him God had heard his prayer and he would have a son. Given the tradition of the rope and bells, I can imagine why he might be fearful when an angel suddenly showed up. Okay, that was no small thing. So it's understandable that he would kind of be like, you know, he's by himself in the temple doing a really sacred thing. He's supposed to be completely clean and right with God. And then all of a sudden, pop, this angel shows up and he's a little freaked out. And then his immediate response to what the angel says is one of unbelief. And the angel said because of his unbelief, he would be mute until the child was born. Now, um, one of the things I'm going to do during this study 
is um, propose certain things that are not proven in scripture. There are things that some of the Jewish traditions have passed down, some current scholars think. Um, this is not, you know, scripture, okay? There are some that think he was also deaf because of Luke 162. Gabriel didn't say that to him, but it says, so they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. And this was after John the Baptist was born. So it's an interesting argument when you think about it, because why would they need gestures or sign language to talk to somebody who was just couldn't speak? And so some people think he couldn't hear either. Again, that was just a little freebie there. Interesting information. But Gabriel assures him that the promise is coming true. And it's coming true in God's time. And see, that's sometimes a hard thing for us is to know, okay, God promised, but it's in God's time, not our time. And so Zechariah, being a godly man, took himself up and said, okay, chill out, dude. God spoke this from an angel. God's been silent for 400 years. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up and tells me I'm going to have a son. So as he comes to the realization that God is speaking to him and answering his prayer, he breaks out in this spontaneous praise and prophecy, Luke 1, 67 through 80. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant, David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor, Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, I love that. That's such a term of infection, of affection rather. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the most high because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins because God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. John grew up and became strong in spirit. And he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry to Israel. Wow. Just wow. And I would say to you, this declaration that he made over his child, you make that over your children and your grandchildren. Declare it and claim it because it is the heritage of God's people for their families to be a part of the kingdom of God. So if you're seeing a child or a grandchild wayward, or even if they're tiny, brand new born, unborn, you declare that over your family in Jesus' name, because it's a promise. You know, I thought about, <clears throat> the scripture again doesn't tell us, but it's likely because they were so elderly when they had John, that they were dead by the time John was adult and living in the wilderness and beginning his public ministry. I'd like to think they were at least spared the pain of his beheading. That would have been horrible. And God promised that they would have joy. And so they had him in heaven as soon as he was beheaded. He was in heaven with his parents. 
but um, they were probably too old to have lived, you know, into his uh, ministry time. But Zechariah found God while he was serving God. I found that kind of interesting. He was in the midst of his service to God. Um, he said, I'm going to serve in the house of the God, and it's an honor. And that's where he found God, was while he was serving. But he struggled, as many of us do, to believe that unfulfilled and seemingly impossible promise would actually come true. I mean, the guy's being practical. In the natural, he's old, she's old, they are past. That, that term that he uses literally means beyond childbearing age. So in the natural, this is impossible. Thus his reaction, like, how do I know this is true? So I'm not throwing any stones because I know that I would probably have said the same thing in that situation. So although he was righteous, he wasn't perfect, but God still kept his promise because God is faithful even when we doubt. Thank God it doesn't depend so much on us. We should pursue righteousness. We should pursue holiness. We should pursue God to look like him more and more every day. But he does not thump us every time we don't measure up. He is a good, passionate, compassionate, loving God. And he is for us in every situation. So in Jude 22, it says, and you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. God shows mercy when our faith wavers. He's patient and long-suffering, meaning he loves us enough to allow us the process of growth. He is not looking for perfection. He's looking for progress. And so if you're taking steps forward, you might take two forward and one back. He's good with your process. He's there for you. He loves you. And he rejoices when you make progress toward him. He understands our weakness, but he encourages us in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. He can shine brightly in our dark struggles. That is God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. So that's the lesson from uh, Zechariah's life. Now let's look at his wife, Elizabeth. <clears throat> Her name means oath of God. She was the daughter of a priest. So she was of the Aaron um, lineage, her dad, as well as the wife of a priest, both from the tribe of Levi. So she understood the incredible honor it was for Zechariah to serve in the temple. I am sure that as the godly woman that she was, that she spent that week praying faithfully for her husband and his sacred experience. But little did she know that God had a special plan for both of them. She was barren beyond childbearing age. And as some of you in here may know, infertility is a painful thing. But in her time, it was not just painful. It was um, shameful. And it was often thought that the barren were hiding secret sins and that barrenness was a judgment of God. Since children are a blessing from the Lord and you have no children, it stands to reason that you don't deserve a blessing from the Lord. And so people could be very cruel. So there was a great deal of shame attached to this. So her husband obviously would have had to communicate to her in writing because he couldn't speak. But he told her about what the angel Gabriel said and the promise to them. In the natural, there's no hope, but I imagine as faithful servants and lovers of God, they read the story of Abraham and Sarah and the promised child Isaac. And then they read the story of Hannah and the promised child Samuel, who was a priest. They suffered barrenness, and then they saw the miracle of God in their lives. Sarah and Hannah birthed special children, and Elizabeth was about to do the same. So she may have given up long ago, 
they were both past childbearing age. And again, you don't, I don't really have chapter and verse for this, but I think Zechariah's prayer was probably the prayer of a young man. And um, they had both come to a point in their lives, the painful conclusion that they would never have children. Remember, they're old beyond childbearing age and in the natural, that made sense. But even though they may have given up on their dream, God did not forget them. So I'm going to briefly tell you, when we were pursuing adoption, we had an adoption that for months, from August to January, it, it was a, a go. And then in January, it fell through. And at that point, the pain from that, I said to Jeff, I said, I'm done. No more. Not another one. Don't pursue any more. Leave me alone. I'm reconciled with the fact that I'm not going to be a mother. I have to reconcile with that fact. Well, God had obviously other plans, and Megan was born two months later. Thank you, Jesus. But I understand that, and I know many of you in your lives have something, may have had something that's the past, and now God has done a great work, but you have something that you can identify with in your life that fits this story. And we have to understand that God may make us a promise, but we need to wait on the Lord and understand that it's in God's timing, not ours. You understand this story. All of these people are interconnected to each other because the Messiah was coming at a certain time and John was the prelude to that. He was going to be the prophet that declared him and made the way for him. And so all of this had to happen in a certain time timing and only God knows all of it. And so we have to trust when we're living what we're living and we don't get it sometimes, God does. And he is for us. He loved us enough to come do what he did. He loves you enough to help you now. And so she conceives the son. He's an honored prophet to declare the coming Messiah. When she became pregnant, she went into seclusion. I didn't do a lot of research on this. Um, scripture doesn't tell us specifically. There may be something cultural that I missed in my study. But I, I think that at least in part, she was keeping her condition secret for a while. Maybe there was a little fear that it wasn't really true. But also maybe what she wanted was to just have time alone with God without people bothering her so that she could actually meditate on what God was doing and keep herself kind of preserved and holy during the beginning of her pregnancy. In Luke 1 24, it says soon afterwards, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. And so John the Baptist's coming was prophesied by Malachi and recorded in that book, the last one in the Old Testament, Malachi 3.1. Look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you look for so eagerly, is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're ordinary people. There's nothing fancy about them. They lived in a small kind of nothing little town. Um, but they're extraordinary people going through an extraordinary trial. Can we relate to that? And they still faithfully serve God as they chose not to walk in bitterness, but to honor God all the days of their lives. They weren't perfect, but they were righteous. Because of that choice, they were chosen to parent the prophet that Jesus called the greatest of all prophets. Matthew eleven eleven, Jesus's words, I tell you the truth of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Notice that last line. Maybe you think you're the least person in the kingdom of heaven, but Jesus says you're greater than John the Baptist. And he was the greatest prophet ever. 
So God, God just thinks you're the bomb. And, and you just have to know that. Like, you know, I, I've told a couple of people lately and I have a woman that I counsel always says, I'm God's favorite. And amen, we're all God's favorite. I mean, he, he died for us. He did this for us. You're the bomb. <laughs> Don't forget that. And so um, in the midst of our struggles, we cannot lose sight of the greatness of God and his faithfulness. And even when we fail, he never does. He will always come through because he loves us. Emmanuel, God with us. Remember that, Emmanuel, God with us. So when Elizabeth comes out of her seclusion, her first encounter is with Mary in Luke 1, 39 through 45. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. There again, hang in there. Believe that the Lord will do what he said and you will be blessed. So Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. That's incredible. God had been silent for 400 years and boy, he came back with a bang, amen? He broke that silence. He sent Gabriel to make a promise to a humble couple living in a remote area. Elizabeth's baby hears Mary's voice and leaps in the womb. Look at the promise Gabriel gave Zechariah in Luke 1.15. He says, and the baby will be filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb before he's born. He heard Mary's voice and he knew Messiah was there. He was already declaring the way. And Elizabeth declares Mary blessed because she believed. So God blesses the humble. Elizabeth was a humble woman who willingly served God her whole life. She did not think highly of herself and she did not walk in bitterness toward God because she was childless. When Mary came, Elizabeth knew immediately that she carried the Messiah and proclaimed, why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? She wasn't jealous or resentful, but rejoiced for Mary. In Matthew 5, 5, Jesus promises, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We can walk uprightly, yet humble, with the assurance of God's faithfulness. Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. So going on to Mary now, her name means beloved. And like Zechariah, she was also visited by the angel Gabriel. We read about it in Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. I'm just going to make a quick statement. I know that the translation I'm using is not the traditional. I like the New Living, so since I was doing this, I got to do my, I like the new living. So, so confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. 
Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, again, here's someone that at first she's like, ugh. But then she responds because the godly part of her wins over the freaked out part of her. And she says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Amen. Then the angel left her. So like Zechariah, she's kind of stunned and confused. How can this happen? I'm a virgin, you know. You know, I wonder if Gabriel was kind of prepared for this response. You have to imagine, okay, the angels are in the presence of God all the time. They know who God is. They don't need to be assured or consoled or anything else. They know who God is. They spend their, their entire existence worshiping him in his presence. So when Gabriel comes down and Zechariah goes, well, how do I know this is going to be true? Gabriel's like, what? God said it you need to believe it, period. Like the angels just don't even get that. So I imagine, you know, Gabriel's reaction to Zechariah was kind of like, you know what, dude? You're not gonna speak now until that kid's born because you just spewed doubt about God. How could you say that? And I think maybe with Mary, he was maybe prepared <laughs> for her to kind of go, ah. And, you know, I wonder, it's like, why wasn't she struck mute? You know, she had doubt and unbelief too. She reacted like, oh my gosh, how can this happen? But I just wonder, and again, there's no chapter and verse for this, but I, I ponder, it's like, well, maybe he was just ticked off at Zechariah because he was the first. But then when Mary came along, he's like, oh, these people, I, you know, I get the, she may react bad and I just need to be prepared. Who knows? But it was just, it's interesting to think. Um, but you know, with an angel, doubt's not an option. It's just not. And so God said it, that's it, it's done. So notice in our story, we're with Mary, the angel tells her Elizabeth is in her sixth month of pregnancy. So even though this is Mary's encounter and Mary's story, God saw fit to include Elizabeth from the beginning. The two stories are intricately entwined. And that's why we have to trust God's timing. We have to. So notice, um, uh, Gabriel also called her highly favored, and that means much grace. That's a beautiful term. Mary was not without sin, as some teach, but like Zechariah and Elizabeth, she was a godly woman. So here's this godly young woman, approximately 14 years old, and she is betrothed or engaged to Joseph. So our culture engagement is a lot different than what it was back then. In that culture, betrothal was a sacred promise. It was a covenant, and it was almost like they were already married. And so it was often considered as the beginning of the wedding ceremony. And that usually lasted a year, during which time, in that time frame, give or take. But um, during that time, the groom would be preparing his home for his bride. For devout Jews, this was not taken lightly. This was a very serious, very sacred thing. So then Mary turns up pregnant. She's engaged to be married. She's made a covenant to keep herself for Joseph. 
And guess what? <laughs> now she's pregnant. So, you know, their dream for their future, every young couple has a dream for their future. I don't think this was part of it. I think that probably this was a little bit of an upset of the apple cart. And so, um, you know, things have not only changed her whole future, and her future may be at stake, but not to mention her life. A woman is pregnant, and normally in every other case, that meant she cheated. So she slept with a man. Okay, this is the assumption. She slept with a man, and Joseph knew it wasn't him. And so this is punishable by stoning to death. So not only does she have to tell Joseph that she's pregnant, but she may face death. So obviously she had to trust God in this situation. You know, we know the end of the story. We're 2,000 years out. We, get, we know the end of the story. She didn't know the end of the story in the natural. She had to trust God. And once again, God knows your story. So when you trust him that he has it, he has it because that's his promise. And so um, while Mary was not perfect, she was human. We understand that. She was godly. But in these circumstances, don't think for one minute that the enemy didn't try to torment her, that she gets it, that she understands what it's like to be tormented. So Mary and Joseph went on to have several more children, and you can read about that in Mark 6, 3, who, as far as we know, during the life of Christ, did not believe in him. In Mark 3, um, 20 and 21, it says, one time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. Soon, he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. So even his own brothers were not really for him. We know that he had four brothers and some sisters. It doesn't tell us how many, but four brothers at least are named. So Mary and Joseph went on to have a family, and, um, but they were not for Jesus. They, they just were not for him. And so once again, I kind of pondered that. It sounds like they were embarrassed by him. They were frustrated with him. They were annoyed at, you know, the way he was acting and what he was doing. You remember on the cross, Jesus looks at John the beloved and says, look at your mother. And basically he was charging the care of Mary with, to John. Why? She had other children. And so I thought about it. And again, I don't have chapter and verse for this, but I thought about it. That was such a sacred responsibility. Honor your father and your mother. That was not a suggestion. That was a commandment. And so for him to look at a, a friend, a disciple, albeit a close one, where were her sons and daughters? Were they so disgusted with the fact that she was so involved in his ministry that they were that they were ostracized, that she didn't have a close relationship with them? We don't know. But see, this is the thing that I'm talking about. There's so many intricacies in these stories in the Bible. And when we blow over them, like, oh, well, I've heard that story. We miss some of these things. And it's like, there's a reason why he charged John to care for his mother. And we know that his, at least some of his brothers lived because one of them wrote the book of James. And so we know that they were alive past him. So what happened? I don't know, but again, it's something we can think of. But um, in John 7, 5, it says that they didn't believe in him. But we can rejoice because in Acts 1, 14, it tells us that Mary and Jesus' brothers were in the upper room. So God did get a hold of them, and they did come to believe the message, and thank God they went on to live godly lives. But at the time, they're mad. They're, they're not happy with what Jesus is doing.
So another thing that's really interesting to note is that Mary is the only person present at both the birth and death of Christ. Like that's a mama's heart, right? Like she's there through and through. And if you haven't had a good um, experience with your mama, then you got a good daddy, heavenly daddy. And, and he's all that. And he's more than you need. And the Holy Spirit has that nurturing, loving um, nature to him. And so, you know, allow God to minister to you in that if there's pain in your life. Um, so it's also interesting to note that um, like Zechariah, Mary also broke out in praise to God. In Luke 1, 45, or 46 through 55, it says, Mary responded, oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he took notice of this lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty army has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Mary knew the Old Testament. It was her Bible. And as a godly woman, she knew her scripture. So she knew the stories of deliverance. She knew, um, you know, Hannah's story. And if you go to um, 2 Samuel 2, you'll read there. There are many similarities to Hannah's declaration and Mary's. So Mary found God in humble obscurity, and it wrecked her world in a good way. It could have really wrecked her world in a bad way, but she trusted God knowing his goodness because of her deep abiding relationship with him. That gave her the confidence and assurance that God would be with her no matter what she faced. Joshua 1.9 encourages us, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Emmanuel, God with us. So going on to Joseph, his name means he increases. Matthew 1, 18 through 25, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. As Pastor Alex said last week, there's not much we know about Joseph. We know he was a carpenter by trade. Um, we know the scripture doesn't really mention him beyond when Jesus was around 12 years old. But the Christmas story would not be complete without him. Even though his role seems small, his impact is great. 
His decisions to hear and obey God changed the course of history and fulfilled the will of God. His decisions protected Jesus from certain death. We should never dismiss our contribution, no matter how small God notices. And let me just say this to you. We've had a recent um, influx of volunteers into our children's ministries, and it so blesses my heart to see it. It does not have to be a burdensome thing if you look at it as an opportunity to change history. You are speaking into the lives of children the word of God. It is so powerful and such an honor. And so even if you're just helping, if you're rocking a baby or you're kind of helping with crowd control, keeping anything from getting bloody in the children's church, whatever your contribution, it is valuable. Joseph didn't even birth this child. He did, he, it wasn't even his seed that conceived this child. So, you know, we could look at him and say, well, he's kind of a bit player. No way. He is key in this mission. He is key in this journey. Um, and so even in his pain, though, you've got to look at this guy. What a godly man. In his pain, because she was pregnant, that meant she slept with somebody. Okay, that's just it, the natural. And this is before God spoken to him. But he decides to act in an honorable way and decides to quietly break off the engagement instead of making her face the shame she deserved. Again, you know, in the culture, she should have been shamed and maybe even stoned. But he planned how he could protect her. He's a godly man. Even though he is suffering great pain and, and just the idea that she had done this to him was so painful, his goal was to protect her. And what a godly man. So our passage also declares that he didn't sleep with Mary until after Jesus was born. He chose to walk upright and godly, and scripture declares the Messiah would be born to a virgin. So he's being, he's, in part, he's protecting the sacred prophecy. So he, too, had great plans for his future. You know, he's a carpenter, and he's preparing his home for his bride to come. Oftentimes, they would add on a room or something to their father's house. And so he was working in his craft, preparing for his bride. So he was probably doing some special things in carpentry and, you know, special a gift to his bride. So the pain that he was going through was so devastated. I mean, think about what he must have felt when she first told him. Um, that's heartbreaking. And in that culture, it was such a violation and it was filled with shame and grief. But he stayed faithful to her, even though in his mind she had betrayed him. And yet with his personal hurt and shame, he still planned to protect her. What a godly man. So God had other plans, obviously. An angel visits him in a dream. Doesn't say that it was Gabriel. Could have been, we don't know. But the angel assured him that Mary was being truthful. And from then on, Joseph followed the scriptures, chose to honor God and listen for his voice. I imagine Joseph and Mary studying the messianic prophecies together, talking about their lineage, the line of David, and again, there's a little bit of controversy there whether Mary was of the line of David or not and blah, blah, blah. It's, that's something if, you, if that's interests you, study it out. But um, in my limited research, I believe they were both of the lineage of David. And um, they must have had, as they're talking about what God is doing in their lives, they must have had several pinch me moments, right? Like as this revelation is coming to them, like they're coming to the realization of what God is doing in their life, they must have gone like, oh my gosh, wow. Oh my gosh, wow. I'm gonna 
pick a little bit on Kathy because like when she gets like excited about a revelation that God gives her, she's like, oh my God, it's like busting out of her. And I would imagine that that's kind of where they were. Like this is busting out of them. They have been chosen to raise the Messiah. That must have been mind boggling, like overwhelming, mind boggling, but such a sacred honor. And so they, they must have just had a great time revelating on what God was doing, reading the prophecies, and just enjoying the story. So by the way, um, Zechariah and Elizabeth were from the same tribe also. And I believe, again, that Joseph and Mary were of the same tribe of Judah. So Joseph stayed faithful to Mary, ultimately um, to God through all of this, and we know he was richly blessed. He listened for the voice of God and heard it several times. Um, Remember, this is after hundreds of years of silence from God. Joseph has an angel come to him at least three times. He says, Mary's not lying. And he says, the baby's in jeopardy, flee. And then he says, okay, it's safe to come home. So he had at least the three times that we know of that he was visited by an angel. Uh, like I said, man, God busted in on the scene with a bang. Um, in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I believe that Joseph probably really leaned on this scripture. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. God honors us when we walk in faith. He is with us every step of the way. Another example of Emmanuel, God with us. Now we're going to talk about the shepherds. Um, just, the other, um, just as the other people we've talked about so far were not chosen by accident. It was by design. It's my opinion that these men were also chosen by design. I don't think God does random. And so there are a lot of herds of sheep. There are a lot of shepherds in the fields. But God chose these ones. No doubt it was a glorious moment. Um, shepherds have often been referred to as lowly or outcasts, you know, kind of looked down on. Um, but this view is probably not accurate. Many people were shepherds in those days, and I can find nothing in scripture or Jewish culture that supports the fact that they were outcasts, that they were the dredges of society. Now, if you in your study find something, I'd be interested to hear it because I could find nothing. It was something that was proposed by somebody ungodly, and it just kind of stuck. I don't think it's true. And so um, there are many great shepherds in the Bible. Abraham, Jacob, Jacob's sons, which were the leaders of the 12 tribes. Moses, King David, the Old, prophet, uh, the Old Testament prophet Amos. And Jesus himself is called the good shepherd. I think God likes shepherds. Psalm 23 declares the Lord is our shepherd. And because of that, we lack nothing. I think God is for shepherds. And so he chose these men, so they must have been godly, because God chooses godly men. And um, just on a side note, I highly recommend a book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 by Philip Keller. It's one of my all-time favorites. And if you want to know more about what shepherding looks like, this is a guy, he was a Christian. He's since gone on to be with the Lord, but he was a Christian, and he had been a shepherd. And so he gives you, like, he goes through the psalm, and then tells you what that looks like in the natural when what God is talking about. It's a really great book. Um, but so the theme of shepherding is seen frequently in scripture, both good and bad examples. But God chose to announce the birth of his son to a particular group of shepherds. So think about it. When you have good news, I asked Alex Chadzi, I said, when Amy said yes, were you busting at the seams to tell the people you're closest to that she said yes? 
Of course. So God must have been close to these men. They're the first ones to get the message. Once again, we kind of tend to glaze over scripture, but think about that. He announced to these men that Messiah was born. They're the first to get that announcement. That's powerful. God would not entrust this message to just anyone. And so um, he didn't announce it to the Pharisees. They were the godly, so-called, of the day. They were the religious leaders. But you know what? I think that God didn't give it to them because they were already mishandling the word of God and they couldn't be trusted with it. And so they got left out. The religious who think they know it all, they got left out. Lowly shepherds got told first. Awesome. So in Luke 2, 8 through 18, we read the story. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those who, with whom he's pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Notice, first of all, it was one angel that made the announcement, and then that angel was joined with a multitude of heavenly hosts. The shepherds were first filled with fear, an understandable reaction, but then, and the angel by then was prepared for them to react like that. <laughs> I imagine that must have frustrated the angels. It's like, man, you people are frustrating. God says amazing things to you, and you go, oh, how can that be? Um, but so when they shared the story of the newborn Messiah, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. People didn't wonder that the shepherds told them. They wondered at what they said. So they were likely credible messengers. Um, and the word wondered is a Greek word meaning wonder, marvel, and admire. People were not looking down on the shepherds. They, as outcasts, they were in awe of the message. And so Jewish history and culture of the day makes it likely that they were raising sheep as sacrifices, males for burnt offerings, females for peace offerings. They would tend the flocks on the hillsides and bring them in to the temple to sell as sacrifices. So the temple is where they're telling the good news of Messiah. As the devout chose their sacrifices, the shepherds told the good news. The Lamb of God had been born sacrifices would no longer be necessary and they were the first to hear and the first to tell. What an honor. So while the shepherds may not have been outcasts, they certainly were not high society. Anybody in here high society? I know I'm not high society. So we're in good company. We're in great company. Um, you know, they slept in fields with sheep their job was to guide and protect animals. They were out in the elements day and night, always at the mercy of the weather. It was not glorious or prestigious, 
but God knew where to find them and he knows where to find you. Are you noticing a theme here? The type of people God uses are ordinary. They are not mighty or noble according to the world's standards. They are not usually wealthy. They are simple people living life and loving God. They all did their part by obeying and serving God and each became a pivotal character in the Christmas story. We need to walk in an understanding of who he is and an acknowledgement of our need for him. Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. Okay, so we may not fully understand his ways. We're not God, but he doesn't want to withhold from us. He wants us to get to know him better and better every day. In John eight twelve, it says, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Emmanuel, God with us. He is not going anywhere, amen? All right, our last little group, angels. They are the only supernatural characters in our story. And all the stories in the Bible about angels, except the one about Lucifer and those he took with him, show their unquestioning obedience and they're willing to do the will of God, their abundant strength and their overwhelming desire to worship God. They are in tune with the voice of God and at the ready to serve. Revelation 5, 11 and 12. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, living creatures and the elders. And the numbers number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Amen. You know, I wonder how many of these thousands times thousands times thousands showed up in the field that night with those shepherds. <laughs> wow. Must've been an incredible display. Psalm 103, 20 says, praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who carry out his plans, listening for each of his commands. And Psalm 148, two says, praise him, all his angels, praise him, all the armies of God. Angels are not sweet, chubby little children or delicate beings with wings. Now that's pretty on a Christmas tree and I'm not dinging that, but in true reality, they are not dainty creatures. They are mighty as the literal armies of heaven and they are called to minister to us. Think about that. In every instance of our story, they are serving God by communicating with humans. The only angels that we know their names are in scripture are Gabriel and Michael. But angels are an important part, not only of this story, but the entire story of life. They are called to minister to us to protect us, to fight for us. They are called to do exactly what God tells them to do for us. They exist to serve God by ministering to us and worshiping him. Psalms 91:11 promises, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. The angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah and to Mary, and he appeared to Joseph three times. The angels in our story broke over 400 years of silence from God. First, Gabriel promised two beloved children and then an angel declared the arrival of the Messiah and celebrated with the host of heaven. And finally, an angel spoke and protected Jesus from enemies plotting his death. God protects us with his angels. Of that, we can be sure. Hebrews 1.14 says, are they not all ministering spirits 
sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. That's us. Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Emmanuel, God with us. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much again for who you are. And as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed tonight, I don't want to miss an opportunity. If you heard this tonight and something is leaping in your heart or your heart is racing and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, this would be an absolutely tremendous, glorious time to do just that. And so I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. And then if you say this prayer for the first time, please come tell me. Um, we have some of our um, uh, altar workers, our, our prayer ministry team that can come up and pray with you. Don't walk away without telling somebody you made that decision tonight. So repeat after me, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins and make me a new person. I want to know Emmanuel, God with me. I need you in my life and I surrender myself to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, God, thank you. Hallelujah, God's good. Don't lose sight of your part in God's story. Just because it's not in the Bible doesn't mean it isn't in God's heart. You are just as much a part of his story. But when we read about these people who are simple, obscure, they're not the mighty and the noble, we can relate to the fact that God visited them. He broke his silence with humble people. And so if we're humble before God and we trust him for who he is, he will do powerful things in our lives. Amen? Amen. God bless you. We will continue. We've got more characters that we didn't talk about tonight. So next week, we'll talk about the rest of the characters in the Christmas story. God bless you. Amen. Good night. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.